in, I will continue in my message. The four dimensions of church life. Engaging in spiritual warfare and fighting an invisible enemy, which is the title of the message for today. Engaging in spiritual warfare, fighting an invisible enemy. Yesterday, while I was just uh, meditating on the scriptures and looking at it, the Lord has impressed me that this eventually will become a book. So we'll start to put it together because I believe it's something that the church needs to, uh, needs to read, needs to hear, needs to imbibe, needs to embrace the four dimensions of church life. And I want my Bible this morning to the book of Numbers again from chapter number 10. And I'll start to read from verse 1. Numbers chapter 10 from verse number 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Make two silver trumpets for yourself. You shall make them of hammered wood, hammered work. <coughs> you shall use them for calling the congregation for directing the movement of the camps. When they blow both, when they blow both, all the congregation shall gather together before you at the door of a tabernacle of meeting. But if they blow on one, then the leaders, the heads of the divisions of Israel are gather to you. When you, sound the, when you sound the advance, the side shall gain their I something last Sunday, which I want to again repeat. I spoke about the church in the wilderness. I said the church did not just start in the New Testament. What happened in the New Testament was actually the outpouring of the Spirit of God. But because before then, only specific people could walk in the power, revelation, insight of God. The prophets, the priests, and the king. But in the New Testament, it was an outpouring, oh, which was prophesied by Joel. So they shall come to pass in the last days. I will pour out of my spirit. Listen to that. Out of my spirit on all flesh. It was an outpouring out of the spirit of God on all flesh. Not just the prophet. Not just the priest. Not just the king. But everyone. All those who belong to the kingdom. I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And the old men will dream dreams. Prophecies, visions, and dreams are languages of the Holy Spirit. I'll repeat. Prophecies, visions, and dreams are language of the Holy Spirit. The Lord spoke through Joel. He said, I'll pour out of my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And young men will see visions. And old men would dream dreams. I remember I have a friend, a good friend of mine uh, in New Zealand. He didn't start to dream dream until he turned 60. And from after that, he just started having lots of dreams from the Lord. But before then, he wasn't dreaming dreams. Praise God. Hallelujah. So you can dream dreams too. Maybe you have not been having dreams. Oh, you can start to dream dream even after your own 60th birthday. I want to say this. Somebody say, I'm already 60. The time is gone. There's really nothing else. Don't believe that lie from the enemy. We don't retire in the kingdom, we refire. I said, we don't retire in the kingdom, we refire. 
Maybe you are 60. God has not finished with you. Let me remind you, how old was Moses when he was called? When he started leading the children of Israel, somebody said he was called at 40. He was called at 40, but he didn't start at 40. The Bible says that he went into the wilderness for another 40 years. Moses was 80 years when he started. There were three dimensions in the life of Moses. The first 40 years, when he was in the palace, learning the ways of Egypt. He's been planted there to learn the ways because it will eventually be used by God to vanquish the gods of Egypt that were holding the people of Israel bound. Then the next 40 years in the wilderness to be prepared by God. First 40 years, he was being prepared in the language, the manners of the Egyptians. The next 40 years, being prepared by God. And then the last 40 years was when he led the Israelites out of Egypt when it was used by God to carry out the assignment. So God does not finish with you. He started at 80. How about Abraham? It wasn't Abraham when he started. It was Abraham. But the Bible says that at the age of how old was Abraham? He was 75 when God called him. Can you imagine a 75-year-old man? Somebody say, oh, 75, you should be preparing for your grave. Who told you that? You should not be preparing for your grave. You should be preparing for God. Amen. To preparing for God. To carry the baton to the gates of the enemy. To impart your generation. To leave a legacy behind that time cannot erode. Amen. He was 75. And I can even talk about people in contemporary times. How about a man called Kenneth Hagin? He was 57 when he started the major ministry that has become his legacy. How about Smith Wigglesworth? He was 57 when he actually started his own ministry. Almost 60 when some people would think, oh, time is us far gone. No, 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 no. Our times are in his hands. Your time is not far gone. Amen. Praise God. Your time is in his hands. Amen. So when the word is said to them, when you blow, when they blow both trumpets, all the congregation shall gather before you at the door of a tabernacle of meeting. But if they blow only one, then the leaders and the heads of the division of Israel shall gather. And I remember mentioning to you last Sunday that the first dimension of church life is assembly gathering. Assembly gathering. So when you blow the trumpets, the congregation shall gather. Many churches know about gathering. We love to gather. And it is the word of God for us. It is the counsel of God for the church. In fact, in the New Testament, the writer of Hebrews said, we should not neglect, we should not forsake our coming together. We should not forsake it. We should not neglect it. It's good to gather. There's something called corporate anointing. One will chase a thousand. Two will chase ten thousand. Then how, how many will a thousand chase? How many will two thousand chase? How many will ten thousand chase? How many will five thousand chase? How many will even one hundred chase? If one will chase a thousand and two will chase ten thousand, then how many will hundred chase? I call it divine mathematics. Then, <laughs> praise God. Then hundred will chase, will chase about uh, somebody say hundred million. Oh no, I prefer I mean hundred thousand. 
Alpha, one million. One, a thousand. Two, ten thousand. Then three, which is what? Hundred thousand. Then what about five? How about a hundred? Can you see? Sometimes we look at ourselves and say, oh, we're so few in our church. We're just about 10. We're just about 20. We're just about this, about that. It's not about number, it's about grace. <laughs> I say it's not about number, it's about grace. Amen. Praise the name of the Lord. Maybe you are 20. Maybe you are 50. Maybe you are 100. Maybe you are 200. Know that when you gather together, you can start to generate power. You can start to generate the unction. You can start to generate the unction that you need to function with. God can work with a few as God will work with many. Amen. Praise the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. And one of the things that COVID-19 has done is the fact that churches have not been able to gather. But thank God. God will always be one step ahead of Satan. He stopped COVID-19, stopped the gathering in the churches. But now we're having gathering in the homes. Families are coming together. Husbands and wives are coming together. You know what? Husbands that have been so busy to find time to fellowship and spend time with their children are now forced to sit down and spend time with that with those children. Praise God. Hallelujah. You know why sometimes husbands and wives are so busy? There are sometimes occasions where even in two, three days, husband barely and wife barely see themselves. But with this COVID-19, people are spending more time together. So God, in the, in, in the midst of all this pandemonium, is still working out his purposes regarding his people to gather together. And don't forget, Jesus himself said, I'll repeat, Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together in my name. <laughs> there am I in the midst of them. So when husbands and wives are gathering together with their little ones, God is in your midst to answer your prayers. God is in your midst to perfect that which concerns you. God is in your midst working with you to bring out the purposes of God even for your family, for your lives. Verse number seven. And when the assembly is to be gathered together, it shall blow, but not the advance, but not sound the advance. The sons of Aaron, the priests, shall blow the trumpets, and this shall be to you as an ordinance forever throughout your generation. I mentioned last week about the second dimension, advance. And I emphasize the fact that to advance is not just talking about the physical journey. Advancing there is advancing in the kingdom. Uh, you don't advance in the physical. You don't advance in your experience unless there's been an advancing on your inside. You take the ground on the inside first. It will manifest on the outside. You know, when we concentrate so much on the outside, on the physical, we make some gains. But because we have not been endued with power from on high, we have not been fortified on our inside. We have not grown. We have not increased in capacity on their inside. We end up losing the grounds we have gained on the outside. And that is why, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the pattern, the order in God is that faith is lived from inside to outside. Faith is lived from inside to outside. God did not just ask them to gather. God now says, sound the trumpet so that there can be an advance. 
the church must grow. I must say this. There's so much illiteracy, biblical illiteracy in the church. Many people are not growing. And I want to say this is a challenge to pastors. As pastors, we must teach our people. We must cause them to grow. It shouldn't just be about gathering, about gathering. The present situation in the nations, the present situation in our cities, in our nations, has made this even more pertinent. COVID-19 has come to challenge the faith of many. Governments have been shut down. Cities are on lockdown. Businesses are closed. And a lot of struggling and the rest of it. Fear has gripped the hearts of many. Many are not sure what will happen at the end of it. But I have news for you. I have a word from the Lord for you. God spoke to us. He said we will emerge. I want us to prophesy that over your life. That you will emerge. emerge. You will emerge. Infinitely better. At the end of this COVID-19. Than when, you, than when we started. Now I want you to say. I want your spirit man to hear it. And say it with conviction. And say it to yourself. That I will emerge. I will, I will emerge. Infinitely better. At the end of this issue of COVID-19 than when it all started. Oh, somebody said, well, how is it going to happen? And let me tell you something. Do you know it's already happening with us in church? Do you know this last week, the reports I received about people who were securing new employment, even though the news all over the place is the fact that people have been laid off work, while others have been laid off work, some have been given new employment. God is already confirming his word. Oh, somebody said, oh, but I don't know, how can that be the prophetic word? It's like a guided missile looking for the believing heart to walk in the believer's life. It doesn't matter whatsoever may be happening to the world. It doesn't matter the experiences of others. It doesn't matter the situation around you. If you dare believe God, I say if you dare believe God, his word will become your experience that you will emerge at the end of this infinitely better than when the entire thing started. Oh, I was so glad when they brought the news to me. Oh, Pastor, I got this job. Oh, I got this job. I was offered this employment. I was offered this appointment. And I was like, wait a minute. In the midst of COVID-19, God indeed is faithful. God indeed is good. He is he's not limited by circumstances of man. He's not limited to experiences of man. God will be God if you allow him. Amen. So he said, and when the assembly is to be gathered, blow, it shall blow, but not sound the advance. The sons of Aaron the priest, verse 7, shall blow the trumpets, and this shall be to you as an ordinance forever through your generations. Then when you go to war, this is my focus today, when you go to war in your land against the enemy who oppress you, then you shall sound an alarm with the trumpets, 
and you will be remembered before the Lord your God, and you'll be saved from your enemies. Also, in the day of your gladness. I, I, I will stop there for now. Verse 9 says, when you go to war. So God mentioned to them, number one, gather, assembly. Number two, advance. Number three, warfare. When you go to war. Did you notice there that God did not say, if you go to war? Because if God had said, if you go to war, then he would have introduced the element of probability. If simply means that it may happen or it might not happen. But God said, when you go to war, meaning that it will surely happen, it's just a question of time. I'm looking at here, when you go to war in your land against the enemy who oppresses you, then you shall sound an alarm with the trumpets and you'll be remembered before the Lord your God. God was telling them that when you go to war, all you need is to just sound the alarm. And I will join you in fighting the battle to push back your enemy and to give you victory in your life. Can you imagine? Tell me the enemy that can withstand the force of God. The Bible says if God be for us, who can be against us? Tell me who can withstand the force of heaven, the angels of heaven, the hosts of heaven, standing with a man to fight battles. That is exactly what he was telling them here. So when you go to war, sound the alarm. Sound the alarm and you'll be remembered before the Lord your God and you'll be saved from your enemies. Do you know it was also warning them and preparing them. Prophetic words are given by God to prepare us. Prophetic word is given by God to prepare us so that we can avert catastrophes. Prophetic words are given by God to prepare us to what? I always say something that God will give his word to avert. God will not hide things from us to prepare us to enter into. God already warned them that to enter in my promise, you must be prepared for war. To enter into the promise I've given to you. God gave them this promise. And he said in Exodus chapter number 3 verse 8, in his first encounter with Moses, he said, I've heard the cry of my people. And I will deliver them from the bondage of Egypt. And I will give them a land, the land of Canaan, a land flowing with milk and honey. Sometimes we love the good, we love the prophecies. When the word of the Lord comes to us, oh, that I will do this, I will do that, I'm going to do this, this is my plan for you. But do you know that God does just want us to go to bed with the prophetic word? The Bible says, wage a good warfare by the prophetic war that has gone before you. Maybe we need to read that. L let's open our Bible to 1 Timothy chapter number 1. 1 Timothy chapter number 1. I think I need to emphasize that because sometimes we want to hear oh, what is God saying. But it's not just important for us to hear, it's important for us to do. Hello? It's not just important for us to hear, it's vital for us to hear, but it's also equally important for us to do something with the word we are hearing. Look at it. This is the letter to Paul the Apostle. 
to his protege, his son, Timothy. Said, this charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage a good warfare. Paul said, he said, this charge, this is a command to you, Timothy. Timothy, if you want to experience the prophecies that have been given to you, Timothy, if you want to lead your congregation into promise, then you must be prepared to wage a good warfare with the that have gone ahead of you. Good warfare, the good fight of faith, is a fight that the believer wins. Amen. The good fight of faith is a fight that the believer wins. He said, come and wage a good warfare. Call upon the host of heaven. Call upon the name of God. Call upon the name of Jesus. Let heavens start to walk with you so that you can enter into the prophecies we do nothing about. I doubt it whether we will experience them. The prophecies we go to bed with and we do nothing about, I doubt it whether we'll be able to testify about them. It's the prophecies that we engage with that we testify about. <laughs> I'll repeat, it's the prophecies that we engage with that we testify about. If you do nothing, if you say nothing, if you don't do anything, you're not likely to experience it. So God preparing Israel. Even here, he said, wage a good warfare. I mean, he said, be prepared. When you go to war, when you go to war, you'll be remembered by the Lord your God, and I will save you from your enemies. Do you know just about two chapters after they faced the greatest warfare of their young national life? Just two chapters after, before then, they fought little, little battles. They defeated Og, the king of Bashan. They defeated Sihon, the king of the Amorites. But now they now go to a place called Kadesh Barnea. They, 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 they've arrived at the border of the promised land. Can you imagine the promise that God gave to their grandfather or gave to their fathers 430 years earlier on? They were now at the edge of entering into promise. Remember how they danced when they left Egypt. Remember how the women sang. You can trust women. Oh, how the women sang. I will sing unto the Lord. For he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider has been thrown into the sea. Led by Miriam, the sister of Moses. How they sang. They left Egypt with pomp and pageantry. They have now gotten to the border of fulfillment of promise. They are now at the border of the promised land. They got to a place called Kadesh and these started unfolding. Let's go to Numbers 13 from verse number 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, send men to spy out the land of Canaan which I'm giving to the children of Israel from each tribe of their fathers. You shall send a man, everyone a leader amongst them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, all of them men who were heads of the children of Israel. Now these were their names. From the tribe of Reuben, Shema the son of Zechariah. Let me, let me stop there. If you read the scripture, you know, you will, just con you will conclude or you will assume that this command to go and spy out the land actually came from God. I'll repeat, by just reading 
uh, this verse number two, verse number three. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran according to the command of the Lord. All of the men who were heads of the children of Israel. But was it God that gave them the commands? Okay. Oh, if you're not sure, maybe somebody's saying, wait a minute, but it's here. What can I show you? Let me take you to Deuteronomy chapter 1. Deuteronomy chapter 1. And I'll show you there from verse number 20. Deuteronomy chapter 1. From verse number 20. Hmm. Chapter 1 from verse number 20. The Lord your God, 21. And I said to you, from 20. And I said to you, you have come to the mountains of the Amorites where the Lord our God is giving us. They've come to the mountain of the Amorites. He said, look, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up and possess it. As the Lord God of your fathers has spoken to you, do not fear or be what? Discouraged. Not that. Do not fear or be discouraged. Verse 22. And every one of you came near to me and said, let us send men before us. Let them search out the land for us and bring back word to us of the way by which we should go up and of the cities into which we shall come. They were the ones. They went and met Moses. Send men ahead of us to search out the land. But God already spoke to them. God already promised them the land. It's just like God giving you a word and said, this is what I plan to do. And you are now saying, okay, I know God has said this, but I need to conduct this feasibility study to be sure whether what God is saying is true or not. <laughs> oh, no. Look at them here. God spoke. God, the Bible says, God knows the end from the beginning. He promised them he would be with them when they are in war. He promised them he, he has given them the land. He promised them that he would deliver the land to their hands. But when they got to the place where they were not supposed to march in with vigor, with faith, they said, now we need to go and, we need to go and check the land to see whether, oh, what God actually told us is true or not. True or not. You know, one thing also that COVID-19 has actually also made quite pertinent and clear. Look at the fear that grips so many people. Look at the fear that grips so, especially even in the church. It's almost as if the fear in the world is no different from the fear in the church. Then where is the promise of God to watch over you? Where is the promise of God to protect us? He said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. So that you can boldly declare, the Lord is my helper. He has said in his word that he that dwell in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty God. And I will say, the Lord is my refuge, is my fortress. And surely he will deliver me from the snare of the fowler. He has given us the promise in his word. He said, I will cover you with his feathers. Under your wings, it will take refuge. Ah, but those promises, where are those promises? Where did fear rise to the top? And promises suddenly thrown out. 
Why? Many people had forgotten his word, his counsel, his promises. And instead of us encouraging other people with our faith, we are now also, we are now also making confession, doing the same thing like them. Instead of reminding those who do not know our God to say our God is able to save, we are, all, we are also running the, in the same way that they were running. Instead of us to say God has promised us, God said he will save us, God said he will watch over us, you come and be part of us so that you can enjoy these blessings too. They ran, we ran too. They confess fear, we confess fear too. Then where is God in all of this? Where are the promises of our God in all of this? Same thing with Israel. Same thing. They go to the promised land. They go to Kadesh Banner. The border of the promised land. And they now said, let us send men to go and spy out the land. Let us send men to go and the leaders were appointed. Some of them were appointed to go. I'll start to I'll continue to read from verse number 17. Then Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, Go all this way into the south and go up to the mountains and see what the land is like. Whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, few or many. Whether the land they dwell in is good or bad. Whether the cities they inhabit are like camps or strongholds. Whether the land is rich or poor. Whether there are forests there or not. Be of good courage. And bring some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. So they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin. As far as Rehob. Near the entrance of Hama. And they went up through the south. And came to Hebron. Ahiman, Sheshai, and Taman, the descendants of Anak were there. Now Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. Then they came to the valley of Eskor, and there they cut down a branch with one cluster of graves, and they carried it between two of them on a pole. They also brought some of the magnets and figs. The place was called the valley of Eskor because of the cluster with the men of Israel cut down, and they returned from Spying out the land after 40 days. Remember, they went to spy out the land. God gave them the promise. But they said, let us go and see whether this thing will work or not. Now, let's listen to the report they brought back. Verse number 26. Now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Then they told him and said, We went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey. Didn't God say that? Didn't God say the land was actually land flowing with milk and honey? God told them that. He said, We found it full with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the mountains. Amen. The land were not empty. If indeed the land was very good, some people would be there. 
But God said, God already gave them the land. God promised them the land. And they said, yes, we've gone. We saw truly flowing with milk and honey. But we saw the descendants of Anath there. We saw the Jebusites there. We saw the Amalekites there. We saw the Hittites there. We saw the Canaanites there. Let's continue. And then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, because he knew what they were going to go into next. Caleb was one of the leaders who went with them. Immediately they started saying that. Caleb jumped up and said, be quiet. And what did Caleb say? Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. Why did Caleb say that? Because he remembered the word of the Lord. He remembered that God promised them. He remembered that the idea did not start with them. The idea started with God. God gave the promise. And whenever God gives promises, God is able to bring the promise to pass. If you align with your faith, if you trust him, if you're ready to do what he's asking you to do, God already won there. Be prepared for war. But call on my name. Call on my name. And I will remember you. And I will be there for you. And I will save you. God already prepared them. In the same way that God is, has prepared the church. In the same way that God's promises has gone forth to the church. Let me tell you something. In this same manner that Israel would have to fight to enter into promise. If you're a believer, you must fight to possess your possession. We have an enemy. We have someone who is completely determined to frustrate God's plan regarding your life. If you are not willing to fight, if you are not willing to arise and take your stand and take your place and push back, you are not likely to possess your promises in God. Look at it. Caleb stopped them. Caleb quieted the people before Moses said, let us go up at once. Now look at the next verse, but the man. Everybody say, but the man. <laughs> but the man who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against these people. Caleb was looking to God. The men were looking at themselves. Who gave the promise? God. Who promised them the land? God. Who said he would be with them? God. Who said he would save them? God. But where did all of that go to? Where did all of that go to? They now say we're not able to go up against the people. For they are stronger than we. For they are stronger than we. They might be stronger physically than you. How about God? Is the opposition you are facing bigger than God? Greater than God? The challenge that is ahead of you, is it bigger than God? You know, the moment we take our eyes away from God, the mountains will continue to get bigger and bigger and bigger. They took their eyes away from God. And suddenly, the Jebusites, the children of Anak, the Amorites, the Hevites, the Hittites, the Canaanites, all those who were in the land have become so big in their eyes. They said, we are not able to go up and take the mountain. Oh, I remember a song. 
I remember a song we used to sing years ago. We are able to go up and take the mountain to possess the land from Jordan to the sea. Though the giants may be on our way to hinder, God has surely given us victory, victory. Oh, move on with the righteousness. Move on with the righteousness. Move on with the righteousness of God. Hallelujah, brethren. Move on with the righteousness. Move on with the righteousness. Move on with the righteousness of God. You are able to possess your own mountain too. Whatever, what is it that is confronting you? What is the challenge you are facing? What is the promise that God has given to you that you need to enter into? And it seems as if there's been some delay. Delay is never denied. I say you are able to go up and take the mountain. Don't listen to any other report. You are able to go and take the mountain. These people say we are not able to go up against the people for their struggle of the week. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land. Where they are spied out saying, the land through which we have gone, as spies is a land that divorced its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. How about them? And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. Who told them that? And so we were in their sight. Look at that. Look at the report they gave. It was a mixture of some element of truth, a lot of lies, and a big dose of exaggeration. I said it was a lot of a combination of elements of what? Truth, a lot of lies, and a big dose of exaggeration. Let's look at it together. They said this. Let's look at it together. They said, look at what they said. Look at what they said there. Let, let's go there. Numbers Numbers. I want to read it to you. But the men who had gone up with him said, we're not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land, with their spiders saying, the land through which we have gone as spies is a land that divorced its inhabitants. <laughs> Amen. I, I said they gave them a dose of what? True, element of truth, big dose of lies, and a huge, you know, potent combination of these things. To put them together. It was true from a human perspective. Maybe these people were bigger, but they were, not, they were never intended to look at it from human perspective. They were supposed to look at it from divine perspective. Now let's go and look at it. Let's, I'll pick each one. It was true that the men might be stronger than them, but it is because the descendants of Enoch were giants. They were men of big stature. They were men of big stature. But they now say we were like grasshoppers, where in our own eyes, that was a terrible combination of exaggeration and lies. How do they know? Why did they say they were like grasshoppers? Who told them that? Who told them that? They also said, they said, look at it, it's a land that divorced its inhabitants. A land that divorced its inhabitants, and it was a land flowing with milk and honey, and the men were of great stature. It was a land that divorced its inhabitants. Would they be of great stature? Wouldn't they have been devoured? Then how come? Then I said, they were men of great stature, but it was a land that divorced its inhabitants. Ho, ho, this is a 
powerful, powerful lie told by them. But I want to say something. In King, in New King James, it says they gave God, they gave the people a bad report. You know what the Bible says in King James Version? They gave the people an evil report. An evil report. Why is it an evil report? Because it was a report inspired by the devil. It was a report that did not come from the throne of grace and the throne of God. It was a report that came from the peace of hell. It was inspired by Satan. It was inspired by the devil. And the devil, Satan who inspired her, is actually the number one enemy that God had warned them against. He inspired that. And look at what followed after that. Let's continue to read. Look at what followed. The consequences, Numbers 14, from verse number 1. So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried. And the people wept that night. I want to say here, I must say here, that this is also uh, probably because of the experiences of Moses with Miriam and with some of the lead, some of the elders in Israel. Moses should have stopped this. He should not even have allowed them to go and spy out the land. He should have exercised strong leadership. Number two, when they returned with the report, Moses should have called those leaders aside and said, wait a minute, come and brief me what you came back with. And through that briefing, he would have been able to point out to them that no, you can't say this. Remind them of God's promises. Remind them of what God told them at the beginning. Remind them that the idea was not theirs. Remind them that God has promised that he will remember them when they're facing warfare. Remind them of the fact that God said he will save them. He should not have allowed them to take that, those loads of lies, combination of exaggerations to pour upon the people like that. He should have stopped that. He should have been the one that would not stand before the people to present the matter before them. But he carried them, every one of them, and said, oh, come, 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 come and speak to the people. Look at the consequences of these. Numbers 14. Numbers number one. So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried. And the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, if only we had died in the land of Egypt. Haba. If only we had died in the land of Egypt. Why is our memory so fickle? That now that another situation had occurred, why do we so easily forget the testimonies of the past? Because of the present challenge that we're facing. The land of Egypt, where they were slaves. The land of Egypt, where they were oppressed. When they were now faced with this, they now said, oh, we're going back to the land of Egypt. Or if only we had died in this wilderness. Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should become victims? Look at that. Why did God, why, why has the Lord brought us to this land to come and die by the sword? The same person that said, I will remember you. I will be there for you. I will save you. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. Then 
and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. But Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephna, who were amongst those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, if the Lord delights in us, in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us. A land which flows with milk and honey. Here you have two reports. The report of doubt. The report of evil brought by ten spies. And report of faith. The report of victory brought by two of them. Two conflicting reports. Sometimes people have said, Esteric parables, the voice of the people are the voice of God. In this case, you can't say that. Amen? You can't say the voice of the people is the voice of God. Praise, because God can speak through one against the majority. Because God with one is actually the majority. Two of them said, God, if God will delight in us, reminding them of the promises of God. Ten. And then the majority of the others said, Oh, we are like grasshoppers in their side. They brought and said, let us select a leader. We'll return to Egypt. We'll return to bondage. And he now said, let's continue to read. The land we pass through, the land we pass through to spy out is an exceeding good. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us a land which flows with milk and only do not rebel. Look at it. They are saying that this is becoming so serious. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Nor fear the people of the land. For they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them. And the Lord is with us. Do not fear. I want to say to you this morning. Whose report are you believing? Concerning your life. Concerning your situation. You know, there are always two conflicting reports. The report of the promises of God and the report coming from the pit of hell. The report of the promises to encourage you, to lift you high, to lift your spirits. The report of God to remind you of the fact that the God we serve is able. The report of God reminding you that God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly. And then Satan comes to say, how do you know? How do you know? Nothing can happen. Have you noticed that when you're listening to some of those reports, suddenly you start to go down? You start to become discouraged? Because they're meant, the reports, those reports are meant to discourage you. You go down. You go down. And with discouragement, you can't exercise faith when you are discouraged. And the intent of those reports are to ensure that you are unable to rise up and possess the promise. Rise up and possess and become what God has ordained for you. And if you're not careful, you become depressed. Can I tell you that depression and the believer is a contradiction of terminology? It's a contradiction of terminology. Because the believer is the one with the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And the Bible says, the greater one lives inside of you. Greater is the one that is inside of you than he that is in the world. And then the, the, the depression is 
telling you, reminding you, telling you all the time that you can't do it. It cannot be done. Forget about it. You have failed. Look at it. You have tried. It, it, the thing will not work. Why don't you remind the voice that has been saying that, but my God, my God is able? Or why don't you go to the scriptures and, and, and say, you need to listen to this, Satan. Look at what God promised me in the world. Look at where God said to me that I will emerge infinitely better at the end of this than when I started. Look at what God has said that this is my year of restoration. Look at where God has said that it's my year of what? Restoration. That I will do great things. Look at what God has said. That's my year of abounding grace. Grace is released for you to do the things that you cannot do in your own strength or power. Amen. All that God is looking for is for you to connect to him. Connect with him through your faith. And then he will release the grace to get the job done for you. Amen. He's never asked us to do anything in our own strength. Even the son of God. God the son that became the son of God. Who is often referred to as the son of man. Said the son can do nothing except what he sees the father do. Even the son would not attempt to do anything because he knew that authority and strength comes from the father. And the same thing is never asking to do anything in your own strength. He is always asking to trust in him. The Bible says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his mind. Be strong in the Lord. He is never asking to be strong in yourself. Because look at yourself. Look at how small sometimes you, you, you are. Look at your stature, small. Maybe some of us are short and small, skinny. You can't, if you compare it, you can't, what, what can you fight against? You can't fight against it. The situation looks huge. It looks big. It looks, but he's never asked you to look at yourself. He said, he's always been telling you to look unto him. Look unto Jesus. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. Oh, for the joy that was said before him. Take your eyes from that bad report. Take your eyes from that evil report and fix your gaze onto Jesus. Some listen to me right now because I know you have received that letter, that confirmation letter that that thing will not work, that this is the way it's going to be. I want you to take your eyes away from that letter and fix your gaze on his promise. Amen. The letter was written by man. This promise is being, is, is being given to you by God. Man, man is finished. Man, anything that is in the realm of the earthly, the realm of man is subject to change. God is not subject to change. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the same God who is giving this promise remains on the throne forever. And it says, his report concerning you is that you are healed. His report concerning you is that you are rich. You are delivered. God is taking you through. This is a year of abounding grace for you. You are imagined infinitely better than when you started it. Take your eyes from the situation and fix your eyes. Lock your gaze onto God. Amen. Praise God. Caleb said to them, do not fear. And all the congregation said, look at it. They didn't listen. They said well, they were going to stone them with stones. Now the glory of God appeared in the tabernacle of meeting. God now decided to step in. <laughs> God decided to step in. Uh, and uh, 
Numbers chapter 14. Numbers chapter 14. And look at what happened there. Praise the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Numbers 14. Uh, from verse number 11. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will these people reject me? And how long will they not believe me? With all the signs that I have performed amongst them. He said, I will strike them with pestilence and disinherit them. And I will make you a nation greater and mightier than they. Thank God for Moses. I pointed out some things where Moses missed it. I must emphasize here that this report here is the hallmark of a servant of God. Look at the response of Moses. Moses said to the Lord, Then the Egyptians will hear it, for by your might you brought this people all from among them, and they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land. They have heard that you, Lord, are among the people, that you, that you Lord, that you, Lord, are seen face to face, and your cloud stands above them. And you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day, in a pillar of fire by night. Now, if you kill these people as one man, then the nations which have heard of your thing will speak same. Because the Lord was not able to bring these people to the land, which is sort of them, therefore he killed them in the wilderness. Verse number 17. Now I pray. So he was praying. He was standing in the gap of the people. God said, I will disinherit them and I'll give them all your promises. A selfish leader will have said, yes, it's okay. Let them go away. Just pour all of them to me. Just give all of them. There's something about leadership that is selfless. There's something about leadership that considers others before yourself. There's something about it that you are thinking about the people. You are pro Do you know, as pastors, as leaders, it's important to God. And it touches the heart of the Father when we are consistently taking the people under us to God in prayers. Do you know that Samuel said that, that be it unto me that I have sinned against God if I refuse to pray for the people? If you're not praying for the people, if you're a leader in your department, if you're a leader in the apostolic training school, if you're a leader in, in, in uh, church in the house, if you're a leader in, in you know, the various departments, the children's church, the youth church, all these other departments in church, you must be praying for those under you. The Bible says it is a sin against God when you don't do it. Whatever area of leadership that you have, you must constantly, you must consistently be taking the people before God in prayers. And I say that as one who believes completely in that and I've made that a practice since the Lord has showed that to me in his word. To take the people under you before God. Before God. Oh, you may not like some of what the way they're behaving. You may not like some of the way they're acting, you take them before God. The things you cannot say God can say to them is only God that can change a person. It's only God that can transform a life. Take the matter before God. Take the matter before God so that God can start to walk on that situation and change the perspective of that man and change the perspective of the woman so that the person can be aligned to God. The reason why they are acting, the reason why they are behaving, the reason why they are saying what they are saying is because of the perspective of what you are, that perspective that they are saying things from. 
And it's only God that can change the perspective. Give them a fresh perspective. Give them a divine perspective. Give them a heavenly perspective. So that ultimately the actions can change. Only God can do that. That's why it's important that you pray. Verse 20. Then the Lord now said, I have pardoned. Can you see the effect of prayers? The Lord said, I have pardoned. According to your word. But as truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Because all these men who have seen my glory and sign which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have put me to test, these ten times have not heeded my voice, they certainly shall not see the land of which I swore to their fathers. Wow. Nor shall any of those who rejected me see it, but my servant Caleb, because he has a spirit. Wow. So it wasn't just that Caleb had a different knowledge. It wasn't that just go. Caleb, Caleb spoke very well. He spoke good Hebrew or good English. So it wasn't just that. Look at God. Said he has a different. Caleb had a different spirit. Caleb was motivated by a different spirit. So the problem was actually what spiritual. One spirit, the spirit of God, was influencing Caleb. Another spirit. The spirit of Satan, the devil, was influencing these other reports. You know, said, and has followed me fully. I will bring into the land where he went, and his descendants shall inherit it. Not just kill it, his descendants shall inherit it. That means whatever you do in your service to the Lord, in your work with him, will impact your generation. Will impact. Now the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwell in the land tomorrow, in valley tomorrow. Tomorrow turn and move into the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, How soon shall I bear with this evil congregation? Remember, they were what? The congregation. Blow the trumpets and then the congregation. But by now, God now said what? Evil congregation. I said, How long will I bear with this evil who come against me? I have had the complaints with the children of Israel make against me. Say to them, as I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will do to you. The carcasses of you who have complained against me shall fall in this wilderness. All of you who are according to your entire from 20 years old and above, except for Caleb, the son of Jephna, and Joshua, the son of Nun, you shall by no means enter the land which I saw. I will make you willing. But your little ones. He <laughs> said, I pardon. He said, but your little ones. The little ones whom you said will be victims, I will bring in. Just to show them that it was never intended to be my power, never intended to be my mind. Say, your little ones whom you said will be victims, I will bring in. Then, and they shall know the land which you have despised. But as for you, your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness and your sons shall be shepherds in the wilderness 40 years and bear the brunt of your fidelity until your carcasses are consumed in the wilderness. Wow. According to the number of days in which you spied out the land, 40 days for each day, you shall bear your guilt. One year, namely 40 years. And you shall know my rejection. I, the Lord, have spoken this. I will surely do so to all. This evil, again, look at that. This evil congregation who are gathered together against me in this wilderness shall be consumed 
and they shall die there. Evil congregation. Why the word evil? God was making the emphasis that a wrong spirit had crept in. God was letting them know that, it, not, that the matter was just bigger than what they said or what they did, that someone had entered into this and was now influencing them act wrongly. And he was determined to, pun, to punish that. It wasn't just about them. It was about the spirit they were responding to. You know, how can it, how can this situation come to this? Look at the way they left. Look at the promises. Look at the the singing, the joy. And now at the border of the promised land, they are now at Kadesh Banir. Kadesh simply means holy. Banir means wilderness of wandering. They were at the border. Have I not said many times that when you get to the crossroad, choose the way of the cross? Whenever you are at the crossroad, when you need to take a decision for God or against God, take your decision for God. Don't say, oh, but time is going. Can I tell you that whatsoever you give up for God, he will multiply back to you? And whatsoever you give God up or you end up losing, they gave the promises up for this. They gave the word of God up for this. And look at what eventually happened to them. God said he would allow them to perish in the wilderness because they've allowed someone to become part of this congregation. He called them an evil congregation because somebody else stepped in. Somebody else stepped in. Do you know that the COVID-19, beyond just the virus that became pandemic that has invaded our world, if it were just as easy as that, do you heal sickness through washing hands? Do you heal sickness through social distancing? There's definitely something beyond the scene realm. There's definitely something. Not only that, look at the way the entire, the, the, the panic and the fear and the infection closed and caused a lockdown worldwide. I had this, nobody told me this. I had this. The Prime Minister of Italy said, we have done everything that we're able to do. All that's remaining is our eyes are not looking up to the sky. Looking up to the sky, meaning that just to turn to God to help us. Thank God, God is able to help his people. How do you wage spiritual warfare? How do you fight an invisible enemy? This is what this message is all about. The world are not equipped to fight this battle. They're not, but the church is. That's why the church should not be in fear the way the world has been in fear. The world might not know what to do, what step to take. They're ignorant of the devices of the enemy. But as a church, we should not be ignorant of the devices of Satan. We should not be. And that is why I'm going to give us seven key nuggets about this invisible warfare. And I'll continue next Sunday. Seven key nuggets about this invisible warfare. Number one, the 
invisible spiritual realm. There's an invisible spiritual realm that is just as real as the natural or the physical world you and I live in. There is an invisible spiritual realm that is just as real as the natural or the physical world you and I live in. It's called the invisible spiritual realm. It's not visible to the naked eyes, but is as real as the natural world. Number two, invisible warfare. Number one is invisible spiritual realm. Number two is invisible warfare. We are involved in an invisible warfare that is beyond the seen realm. We are in warfare, friends. We are in warfare, folks. Whether you admit it, whether you like it or not, there's a warfare over your life. There's a warfare over your destiny. There's a war being waged by someone to counter God's promises, God's plan regarding your life. It's called the invisible warfare going on. Number three, our fight is not against flesh and blood. Number three, our fight is not against flesh and blood. It's not against flesh and blood. That means the enemy we are fighting or wrestling with is not flesh and blood. Oh, your enemy is not Uncle John. Your enemy is not Auntie. Whoever. Your enemy is not Auntie whoever. Why do you generate so much energy? Are you all these people? Oh, brother, look at what they've done. Look at this. Look at that. Why can't you just see beyond? Why can't you recognize that, especially as a believer, that there's an invisible realm? And we are in an invisible warfare. And your enemy is not flesh and blood. Ephesians chapter number 6, verse 12 says, We wrestle not against flesh and against blood, but against principalities, rulers of darkness of this age, spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. Our wrestling is not against flesh and blood, meaning that we're wrestling, we're involved in a wrestling, we're involved in a battle, but it's not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age. Number four, Spiritual battles are first of all won in the realm of the spirit. You don't win when you concentrate and are focused on the natural alone. Spiritual battles are first won in the realm of the spirit. If you want to win spiritual battles, escalate it to the realm of the spirit. If you want to win and be victorious, learn to escalate matters. Number five, spiritual plans, Satan's plan to frustrate God, Satan's plan to frustrate God's plan for his people. The enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus said, I have come to give you life and life more abundantly. Satan's plan all the time is to frustrate God's plan for his people. Number six, this enemy called Satan is already defeated. So we are fighting from victory. That is what happened on the cross. Jesus defeated the enemy on the cross of Calvary and has given us spiritual weapons to destroy the tricks and plans of the enemy in our lives. 
We are therefore not fighting for victory, but from victory. We have won because Jesus won. Amen. We are not fighting to just win. We are fighting from victory. Jesus won on the cross of Calvary. Number seven, you have a role to play in the eventual and final outcome regarding your own life. You have a role to play in the eventual outcome and the final outcome of this battle regarding your own life. You have a role to play because Satan will take advantage of your ignorance. It will take advantage of you. The Bible says we are not unaware of the devices of the enemy lest he takes advantage of us. The word of the Lord has come to you uh, this morning to prepare you, to alert you, and to get you ready so that you can possess your possession. You can enter into divine promise for your life. God delivered us from the dominion of darkness to transfer us, and he transferred us to the kingdom of his own dear son. He brought us out to bring us in. We are out of our age, but we must enter into our promise in him. And that is why I'll be taking this further next week. How do you do this? I'm going to share testimonies and testimonies with you because I'm not talking about things that our hands have not touched, our eyes have not seen, and our hands have not handled. I'm talking about things that God has taught us while holding on to his word, the experiences and the battles and the victories that God gave. And from there, you can learn how can I win my battles too? How can I win? How can I become a victor instead of a victim? How do I? How can I pray instead of victory? How can I become one who is able to pray and win instead of becoming a prey? How can I? These are the things that I'll be expanding on this coming Sunday. And I want you to be ready. Fasten your seatbelt and be ready to enter into promise. No more. No more missing out. No more looking at. And no more just lamenting your situation. No more. I want you to arise on your feet wherever you are and start to sing the song that God is giving you victory. That God is giving you victory. That you are able to enter into that promise in the name of Jesus Christ. That you will not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this age. That in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you will, you are, you are going to win against them. I'm telling you, because Jesus Christ won the battle on the cross and you belong to him. No Satan, no devil can frustrate God's divine plan for your life. You align with this promise and align with this word. It is time. This is the season for it. It may not look like it now. You may be talking about COVID-19, but I'm telling you that this is your time. This year is not wasting away before you. This year is going to become one of the most productive for you. In the name of Jesus, you are going to finish it far, far stronger. You finish it with testimony. You finish it with songs in your mouth. That come and see what the Lord has done. That is your portion. That is your Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ. Father, I want to thank you for everyone that is standing. 
Under the sound of my voice, I commit them to your hands right now. The word you have given to me, I've released into their lives. Let no one be a forgetful hearer. Let this word start to walk in them. Walk for them. Walk, oh Lord my God, to give birth to divine purposes in their lives. Father, we thank you. We give you all the praise. We give you all the worship. We give you all the adoration. See you next Sunday. God bless you. Until we see again, God be with you. Bye-bye.